0: Baseball show, Pass. right after this. Baseball show, brought to you by JohnPelle.com.
1: What the f- do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- f- put that in. I don't. F- so the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit.
2: remember, it's not a lie if you believe.
1: Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays.
2: And this team
1: sucks. Well, Well, he's out. out. Yes, Brad is out. Look at this. Brad is out. And the team is mad. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. They run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the 100 years of the present time sell
0: the team from the csb studios in hasbrook Heights, new jersey this is the passball ball show brought to you by JohnPelle.com. apologies for a little bit of technical difficulties we start the show today um lots to go over definitely um i just gotta set something up real quick uh, i don't i don't mean to be a pain man but uh i'm gonna take a quick break probably for about i don't know about a minute or so i'll be right back man let's get to this we'll be right back in a moment
1: Soft fly ball left center field drops in. There's number two hundred and sixty for each row So he keeps adding on to his major league hit total for a single season he Play again a base hit number two hundred and sixty just going the other way A little lob serve over the net of a breaking ball clean Rogers got him out in front a little bit But keeps the bat level serves it out in the left center and a ground ball, there's 261 right up the middle. So roll a ground ball right back up the middle, right where he got the one that broke the record, 258. I mean, you could draw a line and it be exactly in the same place. As he goes to the left of the shortstop up the middle, number 261. Line drive, base hit, center field. Number 262 for each row. And the crowd, they're on their feet one more time. 262 base hits. He keeps adding to his Major League record after he moved on by George Sisler a couple of nights ago. He'll finish out the year with a three.
0: Welcome back, Passball Show, MTR Radio Networks, John Pielli. I'm going to kind of jump right into things, man. Uh, I'm going to welcome in Billy Staples. Billy, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today, buddy.
2: Uh, not a problem. It's my pleasure.
0: Yeah, I want to apologize. I had a little bit of technical issues, man. It sometimes happens, but, you know, we well, get through it. You know how it is.
2: That's all right. We worked through them. It's not my first radio show, nor is it yours.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely not, man. Hey, listen, man. First thing I wanted to ask you because I really thought it was interesting, dude. Tell me about your, let's say, your past. How you got into doing what you're doing? Because I, I admire, you know, the fact that you go out there and you pursue interviews and you, you're, you're out to talk to the players and stuff like that. What, what got you going in this? Because uh, I mean, I um, think I think it's fascinating the way the way you're able to do this.
2: Thank you. I, I mean, I appreciate it. Uh, one, you always try, hopefully be unique, um, just in whatever your passion is or your work. So it's a two-part answer. The easy part is I made a decision after college to work with kids, disadvantaged kids, troubled kids, foster parent kids, homeless kids. So I mixed my passions. I mixed talking to baseball players about life and seeing if that w- if that had a price tag or a value on it, whether it be writing uh, columns or books, and then – to take the proceeds of that and mix it with being able to give kids that normally wouldn't be able to go to college, uh, give them an opportunity to go to college. So uh, three books later, 13 uh, kids that have bachelor's degrees and 51 kids in college. It's I'm able to have fun with ball players, not just for the interview, but for the purpose of uh, what the end result is. And it's, that's a lot of fun to tell you the truth.
0: No, it sounds like fun. I mean, honestly, like, you know, people like me that are, you know, st- you know still working to try to get somewhere, I mean, you know, the, the fact that you, you talk to players on a, you know, day in and day out basis, I mean, I'd, I'd go about it. Was it a thing where you, you just went out to the field while they while they're playing um, and just kind of waited couple, out for a, interviews?
2: A couple of things. One, um, I was spending a lot of time with my grandfather as a little boy, 7, 8, and 9. I learned about the 1940s and 50s. So... When I was able to have presence in my very first Major League locker room, that was 1974, a long time ago. So my first locker room, it happened to be Old Timers Day. So that meant that the room was filled with guys that I could talk to about the 40s and 50s, you know, beside the current day players. So that, that was the base, you know, being able to have access as a child to old timers uh, that were Hall of Famers, and then current players, which are now labeled old-timers, which I I kid with them about. So when you keep building your network or building relationships over the years, then just like today, knowing that I I needed to follow up with the Boston Red Sox pitcher Jerry Cassell, 1960s Yankee, Eli Gerber, you know, every day it's a few phone calls, and then you start connecting guys or doing favors for them, um, and it's just sort of like a Actually, baseball and the
0: former players it begins to be like a small family to tell you the truth no it absolutely does and i i, I see your, I see your point a hundred percent with that because it's like you know you you go in and it's just i think it's just like any other profession i mean you, you know you, it's something if something you want to do, you kind of get into it and all of a sudden it becomes like a creature a habit you know like a guy that you know works you work, you know a <laughs> yeah. you know, guy that guy that works in a grocery store you know he starts out he learns he learns about you know where the stuff is in the aisles and what his job responsibilities are, and then after a while, you know, it just becomes second nature. I, I think that's, you know, seems to be what what happened with you. And, I, I honestly, I think you've t- taken it to a
2: level where, you
0: know, not, ve- not very many people have.
2: I, uh, it, it's sort of the, it's a, a mixture of two worlds. It's a mixture of uh, actually three worlds. It's a mixture of friendships, and then, of course, I'm a fan, and then it's business, you know. So I'm not the media, yet I'm not a fan yet I am a friend. So I I know it's, you know, you're actually in the interview. You're making me think about it. But I'm not one of any of the three. I'm a combination. So I guess I have the benefits of being bits and pieces of all three. Um, But here's a good story that happened an hour ago, which could not have been planned. I I had to go uh, pick up some tickets uh, to help out a donor to my uh, kids, uh, the students' organization that we help with, scholarships. So all I'm doing is driving my vehicle away from the ballpark. And then I look about 100 feet uh, off to the right, and I say to myself, that's got to be Neil Allen, right? Now, Neil Allen pitched forever for the Cardinals, the Mets, the Yankees. And, um, and I dealt with him last year when Dirk Hayhurst had a best-selling book because he was Dirk Hayhurst's pitching coach uh, for AAA. And um, so I, I pushed down my window. I swear, it's not more than an hour ago. And I go, I go, I'm looking for the ugliest guy I can find named Neil. I screamed it. <laughs> 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 because everybody knows he was a girl of. I mean, every, if you didn't like him as a pitcher, the girl liked him just to look at him. Yeah. And he's got that southern accent, knee turn. And, he turned, and uh, I go, he, I knew he was looking in my car. And I said, I said, I'm looking for a man very, very ugly named Neil. And he starts inching closer, and he saw it with me. He's like, hey, Billy," you, you know. And we talk just like you and I are for the next 20 minutes, just laughing about life or, you know, what's going on, this and that. But yeah. you're right. I I guess it's a creature of habit.
0: Yeah, but now going back to, like, you know, and, and before before we get into the book, of course, he wrote uh, Billy Ball, which pretty much brought from start to finish the whole uh, 2009 season where, obviously, the Phillies ended up playing the Yankees in the World Series. And you know we we all know what happens, but um, just get back to let me let me try to talk with you because you were talking about like you know the '60s and even even through like the late '50s and stuff. We, you went to pursue your first interview. Was was it one of those things? Because I I wrote I, you know I, I read the Howard Cosell book and it really talked about how he used to he used to walk around like crazy with about fifty sixty pounds worth of equipment. <laughs> and, you know, you, you know, you know how he walked around, you know, all about himself and kind of getting in people's way. And he would go and he, he, would, he would dig and, you know, get every little interview we can, even before, like, really broadcasting became what it is. There was there was nothing about that. Nobody cared about, you know, you recording a, an interview with, you know, some player. You know, at the time. And this guy used to walk sure. around with all this equipment and just, just say, hey, let me just talk into this microphone for two minutes. I got I to get your opinion on this. You know, was it anything like that when you, you know, you per- pursued your first interview?
2: What I, yeah, because um, I never switched the, the last of my three in my three worlds. Um, A, it used to be half fan and then half friend of all the different friendships I had in the game. So it was never the media. I never crossed over to the what's called the dark side. <laughs> and um, when I came up with this idea for Before the Glory, I I didn't go to any ballplayers. I I went. I wanted to have national distribution, and I didn't want it to be a baseball book. I wanted it to be a book about life that just happens to use baseball. So the step step one was to convince a non-baseball person that this was a worthwhile uh, profit-making uh, process. And that was Jack Canfield from Chicken Soup. So he sold over 120 million books. That guy was no joke. He, he told me, these are the rules, this is my expectations, And because I was never really a member of the media. And this is the way I, I would like you to go about doing things because, of course, he has a lot of experience. So what I decided to do coming off of him giving me the rules of the assignment of how to produce this book as I went to two guys that I knew I could count on, and that was Gil McDougall, who lived close by in New Jersey, Wall Township, uh, right by the shore, and then I went to Bobby Thompson's house because I know I knew those guys. I knew them for 20, 30 years, and Bobby Thompson wouldn't say no to anything. You know, he's just a great human being. Now, both of those guys have since passed, but I didn't ask them for the interview. I asked them for, "This is what I'm doing." And I'm going to ask you about five or ten stories from the ages of eight to 18 until you left home to play ball. And I want to know about your dad, your mom, life, a girlfriend, did somebody passed away, some tragedy, happiness. What formed you to be the person you are? And I go, would you want to do an interview like that? What do you think of the, um, you know, what do you think of the idea? So rather than ask for the interview, I ask them for an opinion on the whole concept. So what's cool in our field, you, me, and the guys that that do this, is that they not only said yes to the interview, but I said, I want to come back, unlike normal media, I want to come back and I would like to sit with you again. Would you edit it with me? Because it's about your childhood, your mom and your dad. Well, I soon found out that when I sat with them to do edits, the proper question when they were absolutely emotional of how we covered their childhood was to say, Now, who would you refer me to that's in your circle of contacts that I may or may not know for my next interview? That's that's when it all broke loose. When the players start calling each other to be interviewed by me, I I initially was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then the guys would talk to me, you know, and they would say, you earned it. You know, we love what you're doing. It's very different. That's, That's how it all happened for me.
0: Yeah, that's awesome because I like I look at it kind of compare it to like what I do, and it's like you know you reach out to somebody and you know, you know you first you first get to talk to them and you're like, hey, are, how, why are they giving me the time of day? Did you ever, did you ever think about that? Like how you know how a, a Init- professional baseball player would give you um, a couple minutes of their time? Yeah, yeah,
2: it's a, it's a normal feeling for guys like you and me. Until right, and you're younger than me, so you know it's an easy thing for me to say to you. When your interview is that good, when your aura, you know what you produce, the end result is that good. These guys will tell you, you can stop saying why me, and you can concentrate on who else should be part of this great interview process. And that's when you've turned the page of being the 25th guy on the roster, to being an everyday player, to knowing when you go to the ballpark, your name should be in the lineup. It's just the process. And and watch. You're on the road. You're part of the process. You're somewhere on that road, and I was once too. And now I do feel it's not. You know, there's a difference between self-respect and being self-assured. And then, like the negative word, cockiness. No way do I want the negative words associated, but I know that this interview that I do is probably one of the most emotional ones they'll ever do. And at the same time, the last, the hardest, which I have all of them on tape. And you know what? It's kind of me giving, when I give that back to them, Brad Lidge, a pitcher that's now with Washington and was with Philadelphia, he said, he said, you gave me a gift that when it was Christmas time, before the book came out, I, I wrapped my childhood chapter and gave one copy to my mom and gave one copy to my dad. You gave me a gift. So, I get it now because they want me to look at things from their point of view rather than us because you know what we are. We're fans,
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's pretty much all we are. And you know what we're trying yeah. you know we're trying to do something that's you know other people do it, but it's it's a it's a matter of like you know, listen, I, I just I want people on my show, I want to interact with people. I want to feel like I'm providing a product to the listeners, just like they sure. they as an athlete. Want to you know show a product of what they do on the field to the fans that watch, and I, like I see a little bit of a correlation there, and that's why you know that's why I'm as passionate about what I do because you know we're we're in a different we're in a different age now the you know the new media you know everybody everybody's getting their opinion and they want to turn on something to listen to somebody talk about this or talk about that, I mean that that's 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 what you know that that's I think what drives us all to it because it's a matter of. People, you know, coming to us for the information about, uh, you know, about people, about this guy or that guy. And and it's a matter to me, at least, of wanting to put something out there that people, you know, may not know about a player or something you may, may not know about Billy Staples that, you know, people, you know, people who know you, you know, already talk about.
2: I, I agree. A couple of, you know, you're making me think as I, I listen to what you're saying. A couple of things came to mind that I learned along the way. Now, some of the standard questions, you know, in the media, when you got time to really spend with somebody, um, should Pete Rose be in or not be in the Hall of Fame? Then the subject of steroids. Well, these guys, right, when you start to, you know, say I'm I'm doing three schools with them in two days, that means, you know, we're going to be with each other for like 40 hours. So my point is they really, they teach me too because they're the ones getting interviewed all the time. And where is the creativity behind either one of those two questions? Talking about steroids or, or Pete Rose. There, there is none. No. But you they say you'll always hear it in a ball player's voice when you've asked a good question. Instead of satisfying yourself, you'll be satisfying them when you really hear it in their voice. And another ball player um, who was really, really helpful, he, he simply said to me, when they put Shoeless Joe Jackson in the Hall of Fame, and we all know that's your real baseball story. You know the whole Shoeless Joe story. When they put Shoeless Joe in for hitting almost 360 lifetime, then we can talk about whether Pete goes in or not. But why are we talking about Pete before Shoeless Joe? Well, that was the end of me ever asking that question again to anybody because I want to be creative. I want to have that energy in their voice. Um, so that, you know, everything is if you do enough interviews, you get to know enough ball players. You get to get in their heads rather than ours. Um and, and it's it's a learning process. And and you know, how are you gonna argue with me? Should we talk about Pete? He that ball player made a great statement. Should we even be talking about Pete before we talk about Shoeless Joe? Well then stop talking about Pete. So <laughs> stop man. talking about Pete.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean you could you could do it to you know, whether you're talking about players that use steroids and stuff or Pete Rose, but it really all comes down to, you know, a guy like Shoeless Joe Jackson who as a player was you know you know un, it was really it's really uncomparable to say a guy you know to compare yourself to a guy to hit 360 for his entire career <laughs> I know. and 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 you talk about yeah Pete Rose who ended up coming out with more hits than anybody else I mean it's it is kind of silly
2: so um, it uh, like i say what if we go and listen to all the radio shows and ESPN ESPN radio and ESPN television MLB MLB channel we know it's being talked about every day. Absolutely. The key for us is to have an entertaining association with whoever we're interviewing and not have it be the same old, same old. That's it. I mean, that's, that's the rules of the game.
0: Yeah, and I think really with baseball in particular, there are so many issues that people don't touch on. Or, you know, you, you could probably in your mind come up with a varying or a different opinion on something. That really nobody's touched on before. I mean, we could go, we could go the same thing. We could talk about Mets, Yankees, and Phillies, and how they're looking right now, and how they'll look towards the rest of the season. But you know, every everybody else is talking about that because it's, you know, it's it, it's in it's in a realm of the same stuff that everybody talks about. But if you want to talk about, you know, who's who is more of a Hall of Famer, you know. Jack Morris or Mike Messina. You know, not people, not many people put those players together. And I and and like like I, I just think I just think it's important for the baseball fan to get perspective about different things as opposed to the same old stuff all the time. And like you said, I mean, we could sit here and talk about steroids for,
2: you know, 3 hours, but who the hell wants to listen and, to but, it? Right. Who, how entertaining is it? And uh, the other thing is is for instance, I was just with uh, Gaylord Perry, all right? So we were doing what you and I are doing right now. And so I said, Gaylord, you got one vote. You get to vote for somebody that is not in the Hall of Fame, and your vote is the deciding vote. That's a fun question, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's I different. I bet, you, I bet you he wouldn't have expected to be asked that right now.
2: Right. Well, the cool thing is, you know, once it's a comfortable interview and then their, their guard is down and they don't worry, you know, then they, they give a more comfortable answer. And so who is Gaylord Perry sitting next to? Because he's the one that got me the interview. was Fergie Jenkins, who was in my first book. And Fergie, you know, once you spend a lot of time together, then then it's all friendship. So it's the three of us. And um, so Gaylord goes, well, Fergie, you were in both leagues. I was in both leagues. We saw all the teams. He goes to – Gaylord goes to Fergie. Are you going to try to tell me you wouldn't vote for Al Oliver? I just need to know Fergie. Would you or wouldn't you vote for Al Oliver? You faced him. I faced him. I mean, hits? And we're not talking 23, 24, 2500 hits. So uh, Fergie Jenkins said to Gaylord, you got my vote. You got my vote. So Gaylord's answer was Al Oliver. Now, that was fun. Simple as that. That, that And then you can go off of, well, what kind of trouble? How did you pitch to him? And now you got two Hall of Famers going back and forth <laughs> <That must laughs> saying how they pitched Al Oliver. You know? <laughs> well, don't you think – and I haven't done it yet, but you and I are, are talking to each other. Who is on my checklist to go do an interview with? Uh, Come on, man.
0: Probably down a,
2: a, Yeah, uh, definitely. Ohio, I'm, i got to get there. Uh, Al Oliver, got to do it.
0: Yeah, no question about it, man. And it's it, you know, and you and you make a good point about it because it's not, you know, it really isn't about like, you know, you get Gaylord, you know, Gaylord Perry there, and you know, maybe the the traditional thing would be to, hey, how does it feel to, you know, you know, do this or do that or you know, whatever your accomplishments are, and obviously we both know we both know so it's not even worth talking about. But you know, to ask ask the same questions that you know everybody that's interviewed Gaylord Perry has asked them. Is gonna, you know, like you said, he's gonna, he's gonna kind of slouch. He's gonna give you the, you know, kind of the reaction of, yeah, you know, I've talked about this a hundred times, but here you go, and give a standard answer, and probably not be as colorful.
2: But you go when absolutely. you absolutely, and you go when you one, went, you one of the rules. One of the rules, obviously, when speaking to pitchers, is is talk about their hitting <laughs> and talk about them at the bat. Gaylord's eyes lit up like firecrackers when I said, you know, I never even thought of this when I was prepping for the interview, Gaylord, but do you, do you remember your first home run, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> of course It <laughs> so It's like did. I asked a kid about his birthday party. He goes, when I broke in in the early 60s with the Giants, Bill Rigney told me, the way you swing the bat, son, there'll be a man on the moon before you ever hit one out. <laughs> so then there's a long pause. He starts laughing. And I don't know. I have no idea what's coming out of, you know, Gaylord's mouth next. And he goes, Billy, I kid you not, it's a night game at Candlestick Park. It is many years later, and I have never hit a home run. And uh, there is a moment that the game is stopped, and on the scoreboard out in center field, it was announced that earlier that day we had landed our first man, Neil Armstrong, on the moon. The next pitch when the game started, I hit one over the wall, and Bill Rigby was correct. There was a man on the moon, literally, before I hit a home run. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man! You know
0: that's good stuff. It's that's awesome stuff. And that's, and, that's, and that's the thing. You, you know, you, and and listen, we could talk about it all day, but yeah, I mean, you want to you want to bring some substance to it. You want to tell people or have your the people you're interviewing tell the yeah. listeners things that they have not heard before.
2: Yep. I agree. And you probably pulled something and we talked to earlier today before the interview. You pulled something good out of Floyd Yeoman's, one of your most recent ones, and you know it. that yeah. it wasn't a standard question. And now you got a Floyd Yeoman story. And then when it's your one hundredth and two hundredth and five hundredth interview, then you got just like you and I are talking, we got a, we got a database of hundreds that we can pull out and I can share a thing, Hey, if you talk to this guy, talk about this. Yeah, you know, then we share what makes you different than all their other interviews and we help each other
0: out. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I and I had the pleasure of interviewing uh John d'Aquisto, who pitched for the Giants in the seventies. <laughs> oh, <70s. laughs> I love him. And really the first thing I asked him was not, you know, not about his career or something. It was like, what do you think about pitch counts? And and I and I, I knew that would that would strike an ire to him, a guy who, you know, obviously was used to, you know, going seven, eight, nine innings and it was taught to, you know, just keep throwing until your arm fell off. But, and and he and he honestly he carried the entire interview off of that one little point about <laughs> about you know pitch counts and the way you know the way pitchers are babied now, and obviously we threw in a couple comments about how much you know how much the pitchers are getting paid now and how you know they have a dollar value when they didn't have a dollar value in the seventies and 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 listen it was it was better than talking about you know the giants and you know you know seventy three seventy four well, which sure. which I'm sure he was used to answering a lot of questions about that. But that's you know I mean I mean that goes into like what you know, obviously what you've done and what you know what I want
2: to do. Absolutely, you know you're you lead me on. Okay, you give me the fish, and it's John DiAcusto. So of course I've interviewed John too, and then right I take out you got pitch count out of him, and what I got out of him is I said what will these other guys on the staff? If I talk to Gary Lavelle, Randy Moss, John Monte Susto, if I talk to the other guys on the staff, what is one thing about you on the field, between the white lines, that they're all going to agree? So Diacristo, with that laugh of his, he goes, they all better agree, I was faster than all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I can so, totally hear him saying that. Right? You know, I, I, since then I talked to Moffitt, I talked to Lavell, I talked to Monte Fusco. And, of course, right, Any time I would interview them, I would just call Diacristo back. Go, Big hey John. I'm leaving a message on your machine, brother. Ran him off of the grease as he <laughs> hung his head and shook it. Yep. I'm not going to say much else about the question, but he was faster than me.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then you, you know, you leave mess. I left a message for Brandon Moss today of the Oakland A's, uh-huh. and I, uh, I simply said, um, just because many of you at-bats have been in the Triple A. I have no association, son, with whether you're a big leaguer or not. When I woke up and read the paper and the box score of the Oakland A's, bottom line is I saw Moss, I saw the stats, I saw both your home runs, and even when you're in the triple A, you're a big leaguer with me. I uh, I wish you the best. Uh, you should be in the lineup again tonight and uh, keep having fun. And that was my message, period. You wouldn't believe the text message a guy sends back to me. I didn't want nothing. I didn't ask nothing. I just got the you know cell phone, left them a message. That's what builds a great rapport for whenever Moss comes east or northeast. Come on, man, it's going to be a great interview.
0: No, absolutely, and it's not you know you know you think like the standard of like approaching somebody like hey my name my name is John Pielli, and I do uh you know I do this I do that. Would you like to come on with me? And you know most people look on it and be like how many How many times are they getting approached for interviews it's, it's, it's mostly it's mostly by people they know first of all now you know the outsider that doesn't know them is obviously going to have to try to find a way to break the ice a way to a way for them to look at your comments or your look, look listen to your message and be like hey, that's intriguing you know i might want i might want to I might want to talk to this person, but it's you know it's not going to be if hey this is me uh you want to come on and talk to me on the radio."
2: And you're exactly right. And you're watch. You know as well as I do. If you keep looking back at all these names, Giaquisto, um, and I said Floyd Yeomans, but it doesn't matter who. Uh, we're all going to figure out our unique way to to get it. Um, which reminds me, I um I did uh, an interview, and I traveled to it in the off season uh, with Justin Morneau, in 2007 when he had won the disputed MVP between him and Cheater. Yes. So since then. You know, you do follow-up pieces here and there. And so I always ask him, I say, hey, I said, not one of your buddies, but what, what Canadian do you want me to interview? So he says to me, um, if you can get it, why don't you try to interview Russell Martin? He'd be a good one. So I was down in spring training when Martin was um, was with the Dodgers. So that it was in Arizona at the New Complex. And uh, I, simply, I simply said to Russell, um, I, blah, 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 I did my intro and I said, Recently, I asked Justin Morneau, if our interview was good, would you give me a reference? Who would you give me? Well, Russell, he gave me you. And uh, so before you say yes or no, I'm going to be around for the next two days. Can I catch up with you after you text Justin and, and make sure I'm okay? And all we did, real quietly, was say, okay, sure. And what's your name again? And then I said Billy Staples. All right, this is, in our line of work, dude, this is the coolest thing in the world, man. Absolutely. So, I get up the next day, go over to the ballpark, right? And I, I'm i there, and I'm not bothering anybody. I'm st- I am stand—I don't ever want to stand with the pack, you know, the wolf pack of media. That's my style. I'd rather be the lone soldier. Yeah. So I'm I'm standing by myself, and I'll wait. You know, I'll wait to make my hellos and whatnot. Here comes Russell Martin. And all I said, all I said to him, I said, hey, did you get a text message back saying I was okay? He says to me, Billy, anything you want. Just give me an hour or so to wrap all this stuff up. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> you made know, text more no, and you know more no said I was okay. Now what happens? I saw uh, Martin this spring training before a Phillies uh, exhibition game. He's with the Yankees. And what do we do? Just laugh and joke. Because you know, the interview's done. The writing's done. And um, once again, just building your base,
0: building your network. Yeah, listen, dude. I, I honestly, I think that's an awesome way to, you know, get a hold of people. But I, I want to segue that into something else. You know, you, you you talk about how much of a fan you are, and obviously, you're a fan first. And I think I'm a fan first. So, when do you draw the line from being that, you know, that kid or that young adult that just wants to pursue a player's autograph? To make that transition uh, into yeah, somebody that, in a transition to somebody that, you know, is out and just wants 70. to kind of be one of the boys.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's a good question because um, that really is separating uh, being a fan and being a member of the media. Because on all of our media passes, if we get a signature in front of any ballpark official, we are banned for life. Of course, the fans don't know that, but we know that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it in the Yankee locker room where they just went up and took the credentials off a guy's chest and escorted them out for life. Yeah, that's for, it. for you know, getting some signature. Well, here is um, you know, you'll get it, and and now the fans will get it from this point of view. Well, people always say to me, oh, "I saw you interview Derek Jeter again. I have this, I have this uncle. I have this nephew. I have this. I have this." I have never asked Derek to sign anything. So that's that's just the way it is. But that's Derek. You know, that's at the top of the heap. Okay, now, um, the same thing now, I can go off of a different story and say David Wright. But so David Wright is in my first book. And David Wright, um, I got the first 100 books numbered off the press. And I kept them, meaning that that's, I've tried to get them signed by all 20 ballplayers in the first book. And I think I've gotten 16. Harry Carter and Robin Roberts have passed away, but they did sign all the books. So my point is, when I was doing book two, I caught up with David Wright. And he said, you know, I'd like to do That's a different angle of an interview for book two. I'll gladly do it with you. So then I said to him, can I do it at the hotel during this, you know, three-game, four-game series? And uh, so that way I could get my books that are numbered one to a hundred signed, and a couple of things for my um, students' scholarship auction. Well, that's not at the ballpark, <laughs> and I'm mixing the two worlds, so I can't get any signatures at the ballpark. All I can want, but I was able to get on a you know on a personal note, I was able to get those books signed by a current player, which you definitely cannot do at the ballpark. And then I was able to get I don't know six or eight things signed for the auction, and um, they they the biggest thing is since the mid 1970s it doesn't matter how much they make no one no human being wants it doesn't matter what their salary is no human being wants to feel used and it's just a, a generalized statement so their perceptive of who is asking. Many of them are, at least I should say. Some of them care less, which is which is even better. Um, many of them are perceptive of who they're signing for or where it's going because, to an extent, somebody will go after they get a signature, oh, this is worth blank, blank dollars, and I can sell it, or eBay, or whatever else there is. So it is such a different world from when I joined baseball in the mid-'70s. And all I have to do is keep figuring out how to draw – the line, the balancing act, and the level of professionalism, and never cross the line. And, uh, you know, you're right, man. I mean, that's that's a tough question, but that's the best answer I can give you.
0: Yeah, and, and I actually make a comparison to myself because, obviously, I've, I've transitioned from being a fan to, you know, essentially becoming a mem- member of the media. I mean, I remember my first spring training that I went to, and it was only five years ago because, you know, obviously, I, you know, I, I need to come up with the money to go down there and stuff like that and i really compare it to the you know my most recent spring training i go down to port saint lucie i've done it for the last 5 years you know i'm a i'm a mets fan and the first year i was down there i really did that you know that fan that fan guy thing i had my my cap on with my little you know my you know my little my ball with the you know the pen in my hand and you know i was i was anxious to get you know autographs but you know i think i realized and i learned from that i i, I look back and i say you know these players are looking at me you know, the middle aged guy. I'm not a kid anymore. You know, I'm not the cool. little kid with a smile on his face. I'm there, you know, just, you know, kind of looking like that guy. And and no no baseball player wants to sign an autograph for a guy that he thinks that is going to go try to profit off of it. You know, he's going to yeah. go. He wants to cater to that little kid that's got a smile on his face like, wow. You know, that, that's David Wright. I'd never seen him so close before. And they see the smile off the kid's face and how, how they express themselves and how excited they are to just be where they are. They're going to be more inclined, obviously, to sign for that little kid than they are, you know, the middle-aged guy that's sitting there with, you know, you, you know, with a, with, a, with a bag of balls or a baseball card album that he's going to the page of the player that's on there. I mean, you know, and, and then honestly, I think that gives, you know, you know, regular fans like, you know, me and you. A, a bad name because the you know the players think that everybody is looking to try to profit off of off of them just being there.
2: Yeah, and they and there's no way they can keep up with it. Um, a, a good analysis of that question. I asked your very question to Don Mattingly. Right? Isn't it nice to to get inside their heads to get their answer to the question. And he says to me, Billy, what I do is when I'm going to sign autographs. It falls into three categories in my brain. I see I see a kid, I see something, and I can sign one or two, and I'm specifically picking somebody out or they've got me, you know, in regards to lots of fans, lots of people, the bus, the hotel. And he goes, or I'm in a situation where I've got five minutes or in my brain I've got ten minutes. And I sign, and it doesn't matter who I sign for, whether it's a kid, whether it's a guy. You know, I try to do one each because I think that's there. But at the end of my five minutes, I know no matter who's angry at me, no matter who is next, I'm walking away at the end of my five minutes. And I gave I gave five minutes. Not everybody does. And sometimes it's ten minutes. But I always know that somebody's going to be angry. But for all the ones I did sign, I made more people happy than I made the ones that didn't at the end of my time angry. Wow. That was, that was a great answer. It truly really was.
0: No, that's that's a terrific answer, and 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 like you look at a lot of players, and there, honestly, there are some out there, and I'm sure you've seen it. There's some that will not sign at all, that you'll never see in a situation. But and I, I think it's more, you know, it's obviously more fan friendly being down in spring training, and I'm sure you could relate to it too. That you know, play, yeah. players in general, not just for autographs, but just to 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 talk and chat with, and that, and that's and that's something that I kind of looked for. Especially the last couple of years, I wanted to go down there, and honestly, I didn't even have a recorder with me. But just to have a little feedback here and there, I got to speak a little bit last, you know, during spring training with Mike Pelfrey, and this was actually, sure. and he he chose to give me a couple minutes on a day that he was pitching, and you know, wow. and, and I and I and I said I said listen, I, and and I I didn't even really ask for an interview. I said I said hey Mike, you know you know good luck tonight. I hope you really you know I hope you you know continue to pitch well. You've been throwing the ball well your last couple starts, and I was kind of expecting him to just kind of keep on walking, say thanks, and just keep on walking. And he actually started walking towards me, and we had about you know a five minute conversation, and and you know stuff like that is stuff that you don't really expect to happen. You're just going trying to you know shoot you know shoot a little bit back and forth with the players to just you know see what kind of response you get and you know he actually he he gave me 5 minutes and and that honestly that meant more to me than you know getting you know any autograph or any recorded interview because you know just just to get the feeling that you're having an impact on somebody for them to want to talk back to you to want to respond to re, you know, to really want to give you a couple minutes of your time and to me, you know, having that recorded, it didn't matter that I didn't record it. It, it, didn't, it didn't matter that I didn't have it. To me, that was, that was better than getting, you know, a player to call in here for 20 minutes and talk about anything.
2: Sure. I, um, as I listened to you, two stories clicked in my head. One's in this country and one's out of this country. One was this very same spring training that you went to. I um, chatted for just a few, few moments uh, with Prince Fielder. And so he said, hey, Billy. Um, meet me here, da-da-da-da-da, this time, and uh, and we'll have, uh, we won't be hurried. I'm wondering, what the heck? You know, told me this time, and he told me this place, you know, at the ballpark. And I'm like, all right. So what he told me was the, the gate where they drive their cars in and out of the players' parking lot, which I'm thinking to myself, my God, that's where the fans are, you know? You know, what's the media going to do right in the middle of all the fans? And um, so I got there, sure enough, 5,200 hundred fans and um, I got my story before I even talked to Fielding. Like, you know, it's amazing how the way you think, you know, is the way you're gonna you're gonna write your story. Well, player after player after player left the parking lot and a few, you know, would stop their car and put down the window and sign for a few fans and that would be maybe two out of ten. At tops three out of ten. And then ten or fifteen minutes after I was told to be there Golf cart comes driving up, not a car, Parks the golf cart on this side of the fence and says, as long as there's a straight line, I'll be back in two minutes. sign for every person in this line. But make sure you all know it has to be a straight line. That's <laughs> Prince. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and come on, man. So you know how long that line was. Prince gets it. That's all I can say. He gets it and... He signed for everybody, and everybody, you know, was grabbing their kid. Well, here, everybody, you know, was allowed to have one item, and he was as gracious as could be. Now, here's the second story that, unless you experience it, you're not able to talk about it. What's a hard interview for us? Well, the hard interview is with the Latino player that I'm trying to do the best I can with Spanish, and depending on the Latino player, he's trying to do the best he can with English. And, you know, I've done okay over the years, but I I always try to do better with my Spanish. And I'm appreciative that they're trying to to also use a foreign language. So this past winter, I got to go to the Dominican, and I had credentials in Santo Domingo, and then I went up and spent some time in shortstop heaven, San Pedro. Well, when the same Latino players see you um, on their turf, you know, in their country, Miguel Tejada, uh, Eric Aybar, the shortstop for the the Angels. Um, it just goes uh, it goes on and on. I could not believe the difference of cooperation with me, with these players, because I'm getting. I want to be the first guy at the ballpark. I want to be the last one to leave. And I cannot tell you, changed everything by me going to their turf, you know, going to their land, going to where they speak their language. That was that was quite an eye-opening experience. And and obviously it must have been because they saw I was genuine and I was putting my money where my mouth was. I, I was giving good effort to try to do my best.
0: Now, listen, it, I mean, there's nothing like, you know, from a player's perspective to feel like you, know, you, you did something that kind of touched home to them. And I think that's kind of what you did, like, and actually did it literally. I mean, for a guy to see you in the United States, he may like he may kind of notice you from a group of other people, but for them to be on their you know essentially on their home turf doing doing their thing and then see you again, they're like wow, this guy you know at, at the very least they're going to say this guy is ambitious.
2: <laughs> yeah, and some of them it starts a good rapport because I don't know who doesn't doesn't speak good English or you know, and so I'm doing I'm doing my intro, I'm doing everything in Spanish. Which of course, you know, I sound like a white guy trying to speak Spanish. So every now and then like one out of five guys or six guys would be laughing hysterically at me. Um, Julio Lugo, uh Ronnie Paulino. And Paulino goes to me, Billy. Really, I speak perfectly clear English.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny, and it's not it's not to be judgmental or anything, but you could look you know, you could look at a certain player and it's not I don't even think it's really doing anything wrong you you kind of, you kind of make a judgment for yourself of like, all right, maybe they speak good English, maybe they don't because a lot of these players you maybe you haven't heard them speak at all, so you try yeah. you're trying to judge just by the looks of hey maybe maybe they may have a little more difficulty speaking English, so I might want to go you know the Spanish route, or you know somebody that you might think will speak perfectly good English won't and then you're like, all right, well yeah. I got to switch up real quick, and you know this is the way I'm going to go about it
2: um. That's the you know once again see it's the good stuff of of what we do now I definitely I definitely want to go to either the Mexican league or the Puerto Rican league in the winter time you know because I get it you know I'm building my base before the season even starts
0: yeah listen now now how many uh have have you gone to a lot of the Latin American countries or is it just pretty much you know pretty yeah much, no
2: I've been to six or seven um there. and I'm always interested in understanding you know, their country, their land. I I got to go to Colombia and Bogota. And, um, you know, each country has their share of ballplayers. When you talk about Panama, you know you've got Chuch and Mariano. So what happens is um, when I'm in these countries, I'm taking specific pictures of me in this country. And, of course, my writing, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, sure, you know, half of my sales are baseball fans. But the other half of my sales are children because of my publisher. And um, when I'm telling them, you know, I want them to know, I didn't just go to your country. I'm When I'm in these schools speaking at all these different high schools, middle schools, or colleges, I'm also teaching. You know, I'm teaching where you came from. Oh, my God. Forget it. <laughs> you know, Niagara Falls. Boom. You know, the doors open. And the, they, they get it. And then I'm showing whoever it is, pictures from, from their country, but I spent time there, or I'm lining up the interviews knowing they'll be there in the off season. Pedro Martinez, for instance, and his wife, they run a school you know, for the, the kids that have nothing else. And um, that's what they're doing in Dominican. So meeting up with Pedro and his wife was a no-brainer, and we're both on the same page of what we're investing our time in now. Uh, Jamie Moyer, who's back with the AAA uh, Baltimore Orioles, he um, he runs a camp with his wife for children that have lost a parent tragically. So, a lot of ballplayers, what they do outside of the game, also have an association with what I'm doing. You know, my work with. So it's a win-win once we know what each other's doing.
0: Yeah, no, it's ab- it's absolutely important. I mean, you got to try you got to try to relate to these people because you know, when you're, when you're, when you're talking to, you know, they always get that. I, I believe, I really truly believe that, you know, not only, not only major league baseball players, but athletes in general and actors and celebrities and stuff. The first thing they think of is you're, you're just, you're just another guy that, you know, wants to profit off of me. And once you, once sure. you, once you put it on a personal level, then, you know, all of a sudden the doors open and you, you find yourself being able to ask questions that you may not have been able to ask before. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, a good example, here, we'll go back to Jeter. Um, I told you I speak in high school. So what high school do I get booked to speak in? Of course, I'm, I'm out there in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Whose high school am I speaking at? Derek Jeter. <laughs> so it's a 2009 World Series. I'm not sure if it's specifically in the book or not, but I waited for the pack, you know, with the, the recorders to get done with Derek. And all I said was, Mrs. Mrs. and so your 12th grade teacher, wants to know why in the world you haven't picked up your senior project. All these years, and she's going to be retiring soon. Are you going to pick it up or aren't you there? He started laughing.
1: <laughs>
2: I, I, you know, and there, I didn't, I didn't, he just got done, you know, handling the media. So I let him know and I showed him some pictures of me speaking at his high school in Kalamazoo. And I said, You know what, buddy? And I said, If it wasn't for your cooperation, I wouldn't have gotten to meet all these kids. And then I wouldn't have gotten all these messages from him on my, my website. What's your Facebook or email? Man. And I said, so your cooperation with me makes me so much more happy than just saying, hey, you gave me time for an interview. No, and no, then no. I get to bust your chops. And you know as well as I do, you haven't picked up your senior project. <laughs> you know, that was it. So no, what does that do? Man. That lays the groundwork for when I say, hey, you know, can I get five or ten minutes, you know, in the next day or two because I'm in town? And uh, like, what is he going to say? You know, of course he's going to say it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. It's just fun stuff. Yeah, now as we're hitting the top of the hour, and I've kind of maybe done what you you've done to you know athletes and stuff like that, is we haven't even touched on the book. So that means that <laughs> I, I, I have to have you on again. <laughs> so yeah, uh, promise me you'll do another interview with me soon.
2: Oh man, you know the deal. Watch for fans, aren't we? So <laughs> what, what I do, it doesn't matter what city I'm in. The good part is I'll have always talked to somebody else that day, or I'll have the newest story or something fresh to talk about. But the good part is, is, whenever we're on the air or even talking to each other, there's one thing that will not occur. We won't be boring.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not. And like I said, there's a yeah. ton more stuff. I honestly could keep this conversation with you probably for another two hours just off of what we're talking about. But, you know, yeah, listen, uh, we'll, we'll get together some other time soon. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, I can get you on the show again. Hope you enjoyed, you know, having a couple minutes today.
2: You bet. I thank you for your time. Actually, I thank you for your interest because uh, it helps me keep doing what I'm doing with book sales. So I wish you the best. And you know the deal. When you're not on the air, keep calling, and I'll keep feeding your names and vice versa. Nah,
0: no, that's awesome, Billy. Listen, thanks Thanks a lot for your time, and I'll talk to you soon.
2: You got it. Thanks, kiddo.
0: All right, no problem, man. That was, bye Billy, bye. That was Billy Staples. Um, we'll be back second hour passball ball show past right after this. Ball show, Brought to you by JohnPle.com.
1: What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- f- put that in. I don't. F- so the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rays. For the Indians, one run on. Let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's
0: listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, and talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about.
1: I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball, and from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport.
2: Let me start by telling you this I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie. if you believe.
1: Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays.
2: And this team
1: sucks. Well, the he, is he's out. He's out. Yes, Brad is out. Look, look at this. Brad is out. Uh, and the team I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. They run cleaner than any baseball business that was ever put out in the 100 years of- Present time. Sell the team.